You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. About 15 years ago, I went in for my annual eye exam and my eye doctor came out and said, I got good news and bad news. He said, the bad news is you have astigmatism. He, anybody ever get that bad news before? Am I the only one? He said, the good news is this. We have a laser in the back room and we can roll you under the laser and we can fire laser beams into your eyeball. And we can fix that. How many of you have ever heard that before? And how many of you thought, I ain't letting a laser anywhere near my eyeball. He said, it's not a problem. It won't hurt a bit and it'll correct your thing. So sure enough, I had that procedure done. I know what you're thinking. But, but wait a minute. I see you in glasses every week. That's true. He told me before he shot me with the laser that it would not fix the 40-year-old problem that comes along. That, that's so everybody is, that, that's a different problem. So we, we have to have the glasses anyway. So listen, at the risk of sounding trite, uh, today I get to play the role of eye doctor. And this is going to be the laser. And we're going to try to correct your eyes. What is the theme of our new year? Say it with me. That's it. Lift up your eyes. You get brownie points because you are on the third row and you are paying attention. So lift up your eyes. You see, we have a problem. Our eyes get down. It gets focused on our circumstances and our problems and ourselves. And we've been learning from Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 that I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Answer me. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So I don't know how big your problem is. I'm thinking it's not as big as heaven or earth. And so God can handle your problem. You need to lift up your eyes. And then last week um, we saw in the New Testament that Jesus told us to lift our, up our eyes. And if we did, we'd see something else. He says in John 4:35, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white to harvest. We've begun to learn that vertical eyes open missional eyes. Once we get a new view of God and how gracious and enormous He is, then we get our eyes on the work of God and how enormous that is. And God invites us into the mission, getting our eyes on what's going on. Do you see the word missional there? That may be a new word for you. We're going to define it here in a moment. You see, a vertical church is a missional church. And we are a vertical church. That's why we have the symbol that points up. We want to focus on the glory of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and sometimes even the wrath of God to motivate us to repent. All of those different things that are characteristic of God. And once God's glory comes down, our eyes come up and we see that God has a heart for the world and He wants to use the church to get that message to the world. A worshiping church is a sending church. A vertical church church is a missional church. So we're going to dive into Acts chapter 16. It's, it's really the church on mission. We're, we're going to be looking at it over the next three weeks. But I want us to talk more about this word missional. That's a kind of a new word here. And the root word of missional is mission. mission. So let's define the mission. 
Uh, good leadership principles, a lot of good leadership books out there tell you before you start a business, before you get up in the morning, you got to know what you're going after. What is the mission of your organization? Well, here is the mission God is on. The mission is all that God is doing to redeem sinful people to himself. This is a mission that doesn't originate with me. It originates with God from eternity past to eternity future. God is on a mission to redeem sinful people to himself for his glory. You know what that means? God is the great missionary. And before he sends me on a mission, I need to understand that he has invited me to join the mission he has already been on from eternity past to eternity future. It is not dependent upon me. Now, I got to let you know something as a pastor. This is the only thing that helps me sleep at night. Because if I thought that the mission of redeeming sinful people was somehow up to me, I would be a nervous wreck. Because there's nothing I can do to redeem a sinful person. And yet God invites me in to be his human agent to deliver the gospel that is the means by which we believe and are redeemed. So that is the mission. God is already on mission. He's inviting you to join him. Can I ask you, what is your mission? Are you on mission? Everybody has a mission. Are you on God's mission? So let's define this term, missions. If you've been a church member, if you've been in church long at all, you've probably are familiar with the idea of missions. What is that? Missions are the intentional efforts of the church to share and to show the gospel to all corners of the earth. You see, we understand we can't be content just attracting the strongest Christians in the area to build the church. We need to change our philosophy from come and see to go and tell. We have to be on mission to go tell the people. If we're sitting back here thinking that somehow if we just have good enough services, if we preach good enough sermons, if we have good enough music, if we have a comfortable enough building, they're going to show up. We're deceiving ourselves. They aren't coming. You know the apprehension you might have about like actually going to a mosque? That's the apprehension they have about coming to a church. They're not coming. You're not going to a mosque. Because those people aren't like us. That's not our team, right? That's the way they feel about us. And so we have to go to them. That's why we have intentional efforts to share and to show the gospel in the world. Now, at Harvest, we have a very specific mission philosophy. Our mission philosophy is this. We plant churches. Because churches are the most effective means to get the gospel to the people and to make disciples where they are. The mission of missions is the church. The mission of the church is missions. The mission of missions is the church. And so we're planting churches. And we've planted three churches. We've planted a church in Fort Wayne. We've planted a church in Pittsburgh. We've planted a church in St. Louis. This morning they are worshiping and they are sending and they're making disciples in those areas. Right now we're in the process of planting the church up in St. Joseph. And we're 
longing for when we can plant the church in Elkhart. And we are wanting to open the doors of a new church in Belize. Hopefully maybe in the next month we'll get to see that church open its doors. Not to mention what we've got going on in Liberia. So you're a part of a church planting church because the mission of missions is the church. Are you on mission? Here's another word we need to define. How about missionary? What is a missionary? A missionary is every Christian sent every day into every place where Jesus is not worshipped as Lord of every person. Every Christian sent every day into every place where Jesus is not worshipped as Lord of every person. Do you call yourself a Christian? Thank you. we got two Christians in the room this morning in church. This is a mission field. Uh, I am on mission. Let me, let me, I, that you weren't expecting that. You were still writing the definition, weren't you? Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you a missionary? Yes. If you don't call yourself a missionary, stop calling yourself a Christian. Every person who names the name of Christ, who has been redeemed, is now on mission with God as his missionary to go into all the world, to every place, every day, to every person who is not yet a Christian. John Piper says it this way, one of the most profound statements that has rocked my world as a pastor. Missions exists because worship does not. Wherever there is a household, wherever there is a nation where people are not worshiping God as their all-consuming passion, that's the place mission needs to go. You know people like that? In your algebra class, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, that's your mission field. You are the missionary. Here's the last statement, and this is the one we're going to unpack here from Acts 16. Missional is an adjective. That means I adopt the daily posture of a missionary. Even though you're called a missionary, not everybody here is doing the work of a missionary. And so intentionally, I get up in the morning and I realize the only reason I am left here is to be on mission with God as his missionary. I adopt, I accept the assignment of a missionary. And I live in view of the unfinished task of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a two-word summary of what we call the last command that Jesus gave His disciples in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. The first word of the Great Commission is go. It's not stay it's not remain. It's not invite them to come. It is go and tell. Can I ask you, did you spend your week on mission with God? Did you spend your week thinking, praying, giving, sending in any capacity? Lift up your eyes. And understand you are on mission with God. We're going to see four things here today from Acts chapter 16. Here's the first thing. Missional eyes see the value of partnership. Look here in uh, Acts 16 verse 1. We're introduced to a character. And uh, he is the most famous missionary who's ever lived. What's his name? 
Paul. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. I love verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. How many of you were like me where I was always the last kid picked for kickball in third grade? It's like nobody wants you, nobody wants you. I want you to hear this morning. God wants you to accompany him. Your pastor wants you to accompany him on the mission of making disciples. And so understand, missionalize, see the value of partnership. Timothy, he's like, what, why? You said Paul was the greatest missionary. He was also the world's greatest theologian at the time. And yet Paul never went on mission alone. Jesus never sent people on mission alone. He always sent them by twos. Paul, he usually went in, in triads and quadruples. As a matter of fact, the last verse of uh, chapter 14, we read that he had just selected Silas to go with him. And then he found Timothy and he said, I want Timothy to join my team. We later find out that Luke was a part of the team. Luke is actually the one writing this. And so Paul selected these people. And I think that the reason he selected them is because they complimented him. He needed people that were different. He needed a diverse to the team. Um, we're told that he, he, uh, he chose Luke. Why do you think Paul t- chose Luke to be a part of his mission team? Do you know what Luke's occupation was? Do you know what he was? He was a doctor, okay? So it's very practical. Paul's very practical. Every place Paul went to preach the gospel, what happened to him? He got beat up. He's like, I think I need a doctor on the team to travel with the team. I need you to patch me up, stitch me up because they're beating me up. Okay. Very practical. All right. He, he served a very practical role. You say, well, a doctor, I mean, he's not really a missionary, but he can patch up the missionary, right? Keep the missionary going. Right. And then he chose Timothy. Why do you think he wanted Timothy? What advantage did Timothy have that Paul no longer had? Paul was old. And he wanted a young person. And the younger you are, the more attractive you are to old people. Because you know what? Young people have their own language, don't they? And, and old people sometimes don't, don't speak the language that young people speak anymore. It's evolving. And so if you can put the gospel in young person, next generation terms, now we can get the gospel to young people. So we wanted Timothy. And by the way, if you're a young person here, it's like, yeah, those missionaries, those are old people. No, Timothy was a young guy. And he went on mission with the old guy to learn the tricks of the trade from the old guy because the old guy was going to be dead soon because he kept getting beaten up. And he was going to pass the baton to the young guy. And that's why we have two books in the Bible, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And Timothy's mentioned in six other books in the New Testament. He was such a strategic partner here. There was was something about the team. Now listen, 
If you, I need to know where the membership of the church is. Where's the membership? Where's the membership? Everybody raise your hand if you are a member of Harvest Bible Chapel. Lift your hands high. I need to see the whites of your eyes and so I can know who I'm targeting. This message is for the membership of the church here this morning, okay? If you're not yet a part of the membership of Harvest Bible Chapel, then uh, you can lean in and listen here, but I am talking to the church, okay? And by the way, if you're not part of the membership of the church, you can be before the sun goes down because at five o'clock this afternoon is our membership class, Making Harvest My Home. And so get off the front porch, get in to the family room, and we're going to eventually get you in the garage and out in the backyard because there's work to be done in this thing that is our home. Okay, so I invite you to that. I'll meet you here at five o'clock. We'll feed you a sandwich or something. And, uh, and whether you're a doctor or a young person, old person, whatever, you have a vital role on the team. We need to lock arms together using your gifts, deploying you in places where you can make disciples most effectively. And so Paul said, I wanted Timothy to join the team. I mentioned to you that our church is responsible for nine churches in Liberia. You say, I thought it was eight. Well, it became nine last week because Harvest Bible Chapel Marshall Road was launched at, uh, in, in Liberia last week. There's our team. Now, they don't dress like we do. You thought you dressed up for church. You've never been to Liberia, okay? You say, why do they dress like that? They shouldn't dress like that. Well, if you're in Liberia, they'd look at you and like, you shouldn't dress like that. They're, they're, they're missional. And so you may notice they don't all look alike. The couple in the middle, that's Pastor Abel and his wife, Hawa. I was thinking about renaming Andrea, Hawa. That's a great name for a pastor's wife, don't you think? And so there, there they are. And they launched their church. They've been working toward it, cultivating that church there under the, the discipleship of, of Pastor Moses that if you've been around here long enough, you know. And so now uh, we've got a new church there in, in Liberia. They, they had 143 adults and 92 children at their launch service. And so they're just getting started. And because of our decision as a church in Granger that our missional strategy is to plant churches, we're touching what's happening in Africa for crying out loud, okay? You say, well, who are the other couples? Well, the couple on the right in the matching outfits, that's Billy and Jen. Billy and Jen were here just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're from Chicago. Billy is, was an accountant attending Harvest Bible Chapel in Rolling Meadows. And Jen was a nurse practitioner. They said, we got nothing else to do. Let's go to Liberia. So they did. And they started practicing medicine there and using Billy's accountant expertise. They were able to organize some of the things that were happening at the health clinic that was all disproportional and out of control. And he's got that all functioning correctly now. And, and of course, Jen is there um, ministering with her healthcare experience there. Other couple, they're from, they're from the UK. They're Brits. And so look at the partnership for the gospel. What Kevin and Lori Corhorn have been doing here to partner with Pastor Moses there and then Moses pouring into Pastor Abel and you got people from Chicago and Britain. And because of that, there is a disciple making presence of the church in the second poorest country in the world. Because somebody had missional eyes to see. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. You say, you want me to go to Liberia? Maybe, maybe, if that's what God's calling you to do. But what if just a, what if a young married couple in this church got missional eyes and they decided, you know what? We're going to stop looking at each other as young couples tend to do. 
and we got our eyes off of ourselves and off of what we think the other person should do for us, and we got our eyes focused on the same thing, and we work together, we partner together in missional work. What would that look like? Maybe bake some cookies, you walk across the street, you introduce yourself. Hi, I worship Jesus Christ at Harvest Bible Chapel. We'd love to have you come with us. Here's some cookies. If you ever need to borrow anything, I'm here. We'd love to get to know you. What is your name? What do you do? Would you like to come over for dinner tomorrow night? We have steak. Don't feed them bologna sandwiches if they come over. You're engaging them. That's missional. And then you find out and diagnose where are they spiritually with the Lord and, and how can we step into that? How can we love these people? What if a family said, you know what? We got extra space. We got room in our home. We got room in our hearts for a kid. There's kids in our community that don't have a family. What if our family missionally said, we're going to bring a kid into our home in, a, in an environment where the gospel is known. And for the next 20 years, this kid's going to hear the gospel. You think that might have an impact? What if a small group in here saw your small group as not just a little incubator for you to go in there and complain about how bad your week was? Oh, we're here to encourage each other. Let's pray for Brother, brother Bob here and, and let's pray for Sister Sally. And, and what if that group got your eyes on the needs in the community and you adopted a school or a nursing home or a community center and you started working together on getting the gospel into the darkest places in this community. Missional eyes see the value of partnership. Here's the second thing. Missional eyes stay open to their context. Missional eyes stay open to the context. Now, there's a disturbing part of the passage that I've yet to read. I'm just warning you, here it comes. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. That's disturbing. It's like, really? You have to do that to be missional? If I, if I go to Liberia, you're going to like perform surgery on me here? This is, this is troubling. Well, this is a little troubling. It was troubling for Timothy. Why did he do that? Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here's the deal with Timothy. Timothy was biracial. Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. So can you imagine some of the theological things that he heard in his home as mom and dad would fight over religion? I mean, um, here you have Jewish mother. Um, we find out um, in another place in the Bible, his, his mother's name was Eunice. His grandmother's name was Lois. They were believers. And if you put the timeline together, Lois was probably a contemporary of Jesus, his grandmother. And so he had heard, she, he had heard the, the, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all those epic stories that we studied. And he'd heard about Jesus from his mom, who was a Jew. And yet his dad was a polytheist, worshiping more than one God, pagan in nature, had his own culture and probably things that he loved that were completely opposite of what um, his mom believed and what her convictions were. And he lived in this context. He lived in this cultural context. He was multi-ethnic. Paul looks at this guy and says, that's an asset. 
He's ambidextrous. He can walk into a Greek culture and he can relate to those Greeks because he's a Greek, kind of. And he can walk into a Jewish culture, all those religious fatheads over there with all their rules and their regulations and ceremonies, and he can kind of speak that language too. Do you understand? The more multicultural, the more multi-ethnic you are, the better the advantage you have over white dude that's just walking. I can only kind of, I got to work to gain trust from people that don't look like me, right? But Timothy could gain trust in every area except there was this one roadblock that Paul identified. He hadn't been circumcised. Why is that a big deal? Because that was the, that was the external identifiable mark of a real Jew. It was external. And yet Paul wrote later that really God's intended purpose for circumcision was to be to circumcise the heart. It was his heart issue. It was a spiritual issue. And so he, he explained all that. But here, here's the other thing that's really weird is um, in Acts chapter 15, the previous chapter, the whole church came together, the elders and the leaders came together to decide whether or not a Greek, a Gentile, had to be circumcised in order to be a member of the church. This was a, this was a debate back then because Jesus was Jewish. It was kind of came through the Jewish people here. And now if there were Gentiles coming into the, the, the church, should they be should they have this external identifiable mark of the Hebrew people? Well, thank God they said no. Okay, so they said, no, that's all external. And God had a, a spiritual purpose for all of that. But that's all doing away. There is an external sign. It's not circumcision. It's baptism. So we have a new thing. And so God gave us two new ceremonies, no longer circumcision. But now it's the Lord's Supper, which we just celebrated. And secondly, baptism, which we celebrate often around here. And because God knows the human heart loves to turn ceremonial religion into things that are off base. He only gave us two very simple things. So don't mess it up. But Paul looks at Timothy and says, look, in order for you to be the most effective missionary, you should get circumcised. Now, he could have said, mm -mm. church said, I don't have to. And Paul would have said, that's right. You stay right here. I'm going on the missionary journey because I'm going to the Jews. And he would have limited his effectiveness if he had not been willing to surrender his right to be right. Are you willing to give up something, to leave something you love, to experience physical pain in order to reach someone with the gospel? If all you had to do was to remove a roadblock? Listen, the only thing that should offend a non-believer is the gospel. If it's your attitude or your quote unquote freedoms in Christ, you ought to cut that off so that the only thing they're offended by is the gospel. Paul knew that. And he says, Timothy, you need to be circumcised in order to be the most effective. You need to contextualize the gospel. The same is true for us. 
We need to understand the culture and the language and what people are into in our culture. Now, listen, we don't live in Liberia. We live in northern Indiana, and it's Midwestern, and we have this, this large university. It's Golden Dome, and a lot of people like that. And if they don't like that, it's usually the team in, up north. And, um, and uh, that was offensive to those of you that like Michigan. It's, 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 sorry, I didn't mean it to be offensive, okay? But the Michigan team or, or whatever, people have different loyalties around here. People like corn and harvest time and, and uh, all these different things. So in order to speak their language, we need to learn the language. If we were sending a missionary out of our church and sending him to someplace like Korea, wouldn't you expect the guy to learn the language? The same is true for us. There are certain ways and patterns culturally that people have. We need to know the music and the, the, the news. We need to know um, the, the loyalties that people have, even political positions of different people. Now, a lot of people will take this concept of contextualizing the gospel and they'll take it to an extreme and they will begin to compromise the gospel. No, you have to be faithful to the text of the scripture and understand the context in which the text is to be delivered. And if you go too far, somebody's like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be a missionary. I'm going to go binge watch like everything on Netflix all week long. No, that's called worldliness, okay? That, you don't need to be infected with the worldliness. You just need to be aware of how to communicate the gospel in the context to which you are called. Here's the third thing. Missional eyes look for open doors. Verse 4 says, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. That's hilarious because the decision that they had made was you don't have to be circumcised. So that's the message Timothy was delivering. Now as a freshly circumcised man. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened. All in favor of churches being strengthened. Absolutely. The churches were strengthened because they had missional eyes. And secondly, they increased in numbers daily. Don't ever be ashamed to say, man, our church is growing in numbers. Well, you're all about numbers. Yeah, we're all about decreasing the numbers of pagan people in our community. That's what we're all about. And as a result, we might have to set up more chairs. We might have to find some way to get more square footage in this room. And so the church was increasing. And verse, verse 6 says, and they went through the region of Phrygia. Don't you think that'd be a good name for Michiana in February? <laughs> Phrygia. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What? I thought the Holy Spirit was like pro-missions. And yet they tried to get to Asia and the Holy Spirit closed the door. That must have been confusing to them. Timothy's thinking, man, I went to a lot of trouble. And now God's not letting me go where I want to go. Well, I think I'll just quit and go home. Or let's try another door. Verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Strike two. It's like door one, closed. Door two, closed. What would you have done at that point? Go home? No, they had to look 
and listen for the leading of God to the door he was sending them through. Um, Monday and Tuesday, um, I went to Dallas for our kind of initial meetings of the Great Commission Collective, which I can't wait to tell you more about the details of that. But we got back late into the Midway Airport in Chicago on Tuesday night, 10.30, the plane landed. Okay, so then you got like the two and a half hour drive back over here home. And so we're driving home, trying to stay awake. And um, we come to the point where you have to kind of get off of the toll road. And we were actually going to get back on 94 to drop off a friend at his house. And, and the, the, they're doing construction. Is that news to anybody? They're doing construction on the toll road. In case anybody didn't know that, they're doing construction on the toll road. And so there were detours and closed exits. And whoever the smart construction worker was that closed the exit forgot to adjust the detour sign. So he, they put the detour sign just to another closed exit, which sent you back going the other way, back to Chicago on the tow road. We went through that thing four times. It was an endless loop. I was following the directions, detour, bam, closed. I was so frustrated at two in the morning trying to get home. Now listen, there are gonna be times we're going to go up real hard and you're impressed like, God, I really believe you're going, you're, you're sending me here and I'm going to go real hard. It's, it's like you, you can't go that way. Just look for another open door. Listen, there are endless possibilities for you to be on mission with God, especially considering the fact there are 7.5 billion people in the world. And 3.15 billion of them are unreached by the gospel. In other words, they don't have access to the simple gospel that you've heard here today, or they possibly have never even heard the name of Jesus. And if someone doesn't get to them, they will live, they will die without ever hearing the gospel. Look for the open doors. 42% of the world's population is unreached by the gospel. How about here in America? You say, well, it's a Christian country. Well, maybe it used to be. In the year 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In the year 1950, there were 17 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In the year 2000, there were 12 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In the latest statistics in 2011, there were 11 churches for every 10,000 Americans. So lest you think that church planting is not necessary, it's the very thing that we need to be a part of. Consider the different regions in the country. In the south, where I grew up, there was a church on every corner. One church for every 750 people. But in Indiana, there's one church for every 1,500 to 1,800 people. That's why I'm in Indiana. I didn't choose Indiana. I was sent to Indiana. Some of you need to be sent to places like New Jersey and New York where there's one church for every six to 7,000 people. Or how about the Northeast Corridor and Utah? Less than 2% of the people in those regions claim to be born again. Listen, you don't have to leave America to be a missionary. As a matter of fact, the condition in America is actually attracting other nations to send missionaries to America. 4,000 churches in America close their doors each year. 
80% of churches are plateaued or are declining. 93% of Americans are non-evangelical. America's evangelical population loses 2.6 million people each decade. What's an evangelical? That's our team. Those are people that define the gospel the way that we did. God is holy. Man is not. Christ is a savior. You must repent and believe. And that's why you don't have traffic jams on Sunday morning. Because the world needs the church to get busy sharing and delivering the gospel. Here's the last thing. Missional lies see where to help. Look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Have you ever had this happen to you? Uh, Not typical. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. Creepy. (laughs) Urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over and help us. Come closer to where we live. Bring what you have to where we are to meet the need. Come over. How would you have responded? Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You get it? Immediately. They weren't in a missions conference. They weren't defining mission, missions, missionary, missional. They just went and delivered the gospel because they saw a place that needed help. Thomas Edison said, vision without execution is just hallucination. The easiest thing I will do all week is cast the vision for this church to get on mission with God. The hardest thing I will do all week is execute the vision to get this church on mission with God. It is so much easier to talk about than it is to live out. Do you get it? Is God calling you like he called Paul? Come over and help us. Do you get it? God called a specific sender, sends a specific people for a specific purpose to preach, not hand out water bottles, not do a food pantry, not a clothes closet, but to preach a specific message, the gospel, not prosperity, not Jesus would be a great life coach, not financial principles, to preach a specific message to them, a specific people in a specific place. Where does God want you on mission? I went to the Notre Dame game yesterday. Good job, boys. But I I have a hard time going to Notre Dame football games. It's not because of Notre Dame. 
It's because of the mass of humanity that you can see in one place and living with the knowledge that unless someone tells them of the necessity to repent of sin and believe in what Jesus did on the cross can purchase their redemption, the vast majority of them will die and spend an eternity separated from God in eternal torment in a place called hell. And when you lift up your eyes and see that reality, I I didn't sleep much last night. Plagued with the thought of, are we, are we, are we serious? Are we doing all that we can do to reach them? There were thousands of people in that stadium that the hundreds of people at Harvest Bible Chapel see, talk to, and befriend every day. Are we having an impact? I was was burdened with the thought this week, what if what was going on at Harvest Bible Chapel was as well known as what is going on at Notre Dame University in this community? That on Sunday, people were talking more about the movement of the Holy Spirit than they were the movement of Josh Adams on the football field. Are we serious about getting the gospel to a specific people in a specific place? This passage of scripture reminded me, I was just, again, I didn't sleep much last night. I got up and I started scribbling some things down. I was reminded of something that happened to me that I don't know that I've ever told a large crowd of people. And the reason I I don't talk about this much is because I don't even know if I agree with it theologically what happened to me. When, when I was like 12, um, um, I, I went out to mow the yard, my, my parents' front yard in Oklahoma, big, thick Bermuda grass. It had not been mowed in a long time. I remember just, uh, just pushing this, the push mower, remember those, push mower. And, uh, and it was 100 degrees, you know, in Oklahoma. And there's something about just the roar of the the mower that just kind of isolates you with your own thoughts. Now, now I've told you this before. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't know of a church. I didn't know a preacher or a pastor. I don't even know if I knew a Christian at that point. But I have a very vivid memory of sensing. I wouldn't even say I heard anything. I didn't get a vision. But I sensed this. You are going to pastor a church that has big impact. I didn't know a pastor, didn't know a church. I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. I'm 12, a very unimpressive 12-year-old that was not having impact on anything, not even the yard that day, okay? And so I'm just like, it's almost hilarious, and you kind of stick it out of your mind, it kind of comes back, you stick it out of your mind, it comes back, stick it back. And, and I... I I didn't sense I was being called to anything. I didn't sense I needed to do anything. I wish I could have told you I immediately fell on the ground and worshiped Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of all of my sin, and I've never been the same since. Not what happened. I just, just kind of had that thought. And I don't know, 
every, every 10 years or so since that time, I would remember that. And even like after I met the Lord, I met the Lord when I was 15 years old and I did plug into a church. And I remember when I was 16, our youth group went to Hoisington, Kansas um, on a mission trip. We taught vacation Bible school to little kids, knocked on doors, did religious surveys, things like, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Just subtle, casual questions like that. And, um, so that was kind of my introduction to missional work, you know. And I remember being struck with a thought in Hoisington, Kansas. There's, there's like one church in this whole town. Somebody ought to plant some churches around here. Not knowing that would kind of be a part of my resume one day. I remember I, when I was 19, I was in college and I was working at a funeral home. And um, that's a story in itself, I know. But um, I had to work every fourth Sunday and every second Sunday I was on call because people die every day. And I remember I couldn't really commit to like being a Sunday school teacher. And I remember my youth pastor came to me and he said, I've got a group of seventh grade boys. I got like eight seventh grade boys and they need a Sunday school teacher. Would you be their Sunday school teacher? Sunday school teacher. And I, I sensed God saying, there's your mission field. So I quit my job. And I remember my boss, he got so mad at me. He's like, what are you talking about? You're going to quit because you're going to teach a Sunday school class? That's crazy. And he looked at me and said, you need to understand, God's not going to write you a check. And what he meant was, you're going to have to get a real job someday. You're going to have to make a living for yourself. And it's interesting, since that time, every check I've ever deposited has been in some way related to ministry. So, so you know, worked with those seventh graders. I, I graduated from college. I went to Mid-America Seminary in Memphis, got a degree in ministry, became a youth pastor in Arkansas, and then jumped on one of those life action teams, and we traveled around, and now I'm in my 30s. And again, I'm like, I'm, I'm in life action. I'm not a pastor. And every now and then I think about it, it's like, yeah, that was way off. I don't know what I was thinking there. And then I, I kind of remembered this last night. And then I thought of you, and I thought about everything I was going to be telling you today. Nine churches in Liberia, Fort Wayne, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Belize coming soon. Um, got a call this week from pastor in Hungary. You know what he said? Can you come over and help us? Uh, we'd like you to do a vertical church conference over here. I've got 40 pastors that would love to know everything there is about how to be a vertical church. And we'd like to plant churches all over Hungary. Can you come over and help? Now, listen, I know some days you show up here at church and I'm not here I am not laying on a beach somewhere, okay? <laughs> I have been sent somewhere, like Hungary, or to do a, a family life conference or something. I, I, I want to be on mission with God. I want to be serving. But I, 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 I kind of looked back and I realized, you know what? I, th I, think I'm, I think I'm a pastor of a church that's making a big impact. But there's more work to do. And if you're not on mission in gospel community, in gospel partnership, would you jump on the team? God has called a specific people for a specific purpose to deliver a specific message to a specific people in a specific place. Who are those people? After I met the Lord, one of the very first things I had to do in obedience to the Lord is I had to throw away my record collection. Okay? So that was just something the Lord asked me to do. And so I didn't have any music. There were no Christian radio stations in my town. And I 
I said, you know, I think I can commit to buying one Christian cassette every month. So I started to build my collection. You know, you get your basic Amy Grant and, you know, Larnell Harris, David Meese, those, those guys. And then I, I bought this cassette. Actually, I saw a cassette. It's like, if you can't afford this, we'll give it to you. I'm like, well, it must be really bad if they're willing to give it away. So I got that one. It's it by a guy named Keith Green. And um, so I put that in. That rocked my world. Um, I found out later, Keith Green died in a plane crash on July the 28th, 1982. 30 days before I came to know the Lord. And um, there was a particular song on that cassette that was part of my Macedonian call. There's never been a song written like this since. It goes like this. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. I know it's, it's, it's all I ever hear, but no one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear, but he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Open up, open up and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God is calling and you're the one but like Jonah, you run. He told you to speak and you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark and the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Don't close your eyes and pretend the job is done. God is on mission. He invites you to join Him. Adopt the posture of a missionary. Every Christian, every day, going every place where Jesus is not worshipped as Lord to every person invite you to stand right now, heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just listen there for a moment to the Holy Spirit as your physical eyes are closed, would you lift up your spiritual eyes and see where would you become an everyday missionary Father, I pray that you would give us the courage, the boldness, the love, the compassion to speak to people who need our help. We have been so well fed. The 
more that we've been exposed to, the greater our responsibility to freely distribute that which you have so generously given to us. Would you raise up people in this church that could help us to execute that vision? We pray in Jesus' name.